Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Experience by Design Podcast, where we examine experience designs of all kinds. I'm Gary David. Adam is still on assignment, doing some interesting work as always. And I believe he's also speaking at Wayne State University. Wayne State just happens to be my alma mater, where I did my PhD in sociology, but they also have an excellent applied anthropology program. And Adam being an applied anthropologist, I think they invited him to speak or something like that. So it's exciting to hear that he is back there speaking to the folks who are interested in how to use social science for something useful, which I think we can all agree we need more of. And while Experience by Design is a relatively new podcast, neither Adam nor I are, in fact, new to podcasting. Adam is one of the originators of a podcast called That's Anthro Life, which is still ongoing, and you are encouraged to check it out. You can find it wherever you get podcasts, like this one. And we actually met while at a conference, academic conference, but also an applied conference called the Society for Applied Anthropology, where he was doing podcasting stuff and I was interested in learning more about what he was doing and we kind of connected through that venue. And I as well was on a podcast formerly called Elevation Trail with a friend of mine named Tim Long. And I don't know how many people who are listening to this might have listened to that, but it was a completely different kind of podcast in some ways. We actually examined endurance sports, uh, which primarily were taking place off-road, on trails. This included a lot of a lot of ultra running, for instance, 100-mile races, 24-hour races, 50-mile races, as well as endurance mountain biking and a lot of other assorted activities that people do when they either have too much time on their hands or lack the common sense to know otherwise. Is, you know, why are we doing this in the first place? And Elevation Trail, I mean, we, we had a long run with that. It was about four or five years that it went on for. And it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do, since it was based on something that I enjoy doing and I like to think that I'm good at, which is interviewing people and chatting with them about their lives and experiences. We enjoyed, for instance, talking to Olympic athletes, as well as amateurs who are never going to go anywhere near any elite level of competition. We were looking for those who were trying to win major events, as well as those who were just looking to survive them. We talked to people who put on these kinds of events and what goes into the planning and the creating of experiences for participants. And I have to say, we had a pretty good following worldwide, and you can still find our episodes online. I think there's even the website Elevation Trail or something like that where you can go get those past episodes. And as good as Tim and I were at interviewing people, and we were both pretty good at it, we were really lousy. I mean, really lousy at actually making any money from doing it. Granted, podcasting is not something that people go into for the money necessarily. And we did not go into that podcast, and nor are Adam and I going to this podcast to make piles of money. I look at podcasting in general as people being able to exercise their creative and artistic sides, kind of like what I call throwing art out into the world. People are just doing things that are inside of themselves and expressing it outwardly. I mean, I, even recently, I was at a Staples near where I work. It was really interesting to see that Staples is selling podcasting equipment, like kits, everything you need to get involved with podcasting. 
They even have facilities. I think there's one in Norwood, Massachusetts, where you can go in and you can record a podcast. And I don't know what's involved in going to a Staples and recording a podcast, but clearly they see a market for people wanting to do podcasting, for people wanting to engage with some kind of listenership in a creative way. But on the one hand, it makes me think, do we really need any more podcasts? I mean, aren't there enough out there? If you, des- if you define need as there are people clamoring for more podcasts, then probably not. I mean, it's pretty saturated already. How many more podcasts do we need to have? How many more hours of your day could you spend listening to podcasts? And I guess this is a kind of weird way to start a podcast is questioning the very nature of podcasts and their existence. At the same time, if podcasting is about filling some internal need of self-expression and helping people to connect with one another as well as themselves, then it really is a welcome development to see people filling this deep need through this medium. It is really no different than people taking an art class because they always wanted to draw or paint and never had the opportunity to. And the painting or drawing they do in these art classes, by and large, is probably not going to be seen by anybody else and definitely isn't going to be sold. But it's not about that. It's not the outcome that's important. It's the act of creating itself that's important. Or you could think about it as not the destination, but the journey. At the same time, again, at the same time, at the same time, putting on a podcast for mass consumption does cost money in terms of equipment, stream hosting, website hosting, and the time of the person doing it. We pay for Simplecast uh, fees. We pay for Squarespace fees. We buy equipment and are continuously looking at investing in more equipment to make the sound better. The question becomes, for some of us, how do you turn a podcast into a revenue-generating venture? How do you you make money from it? Tim and I couldn't figure that out. Uh, I don't know if Adam makes anything from this anthro life, and I can tell you, so far, we've made nothing from this. So how does one go about monetizing podcasts and creating a better listener experience? Well, to answer those questions, we have as our guest today, Amira Valiani. Now, Amira is the co-founder and CEO of something called Glow.fm. As they describe themselves, quote, Glow is the best, most flexible way to build your podcast membership program, end quote. What does that mean? Well, we talk with Amira about what led her to create Glow.fm actually out of covering local politics in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And if you know anything about Cambridge, Massachusetts, that's probably a pretty interesting thing to cover. We also discussed the more than around 800,000 podcasts that exist worldwide today and counting, and how storytelling has forever been our primary mode of self-expression, and how podcasting is the next iteration of that. Finally, we explore both the professionalization of podcasting as well as its democratizing effects of giving everyone a voice who wants to use it. So for every Joe Rogan or Mark Marin or Radiolab or, or The Moth or, or, or you name it, there are any number of people who are just doing it because they want to do it and they want to express themselves to a broader audience and feel heard. And podcasting is definitely a way of doing that. So overall, it was a great talk with Amira. It was a lot of fun looking at the trajectory of her organization and her own work and how it relates to both us as Glow.fm clients, as customers, and what it means for the multiplicity of voices out there in the ether overall. So here's our talk. Really hope you enjoy it. (laughs) 
what do you guys want to talk about? Well, I mean, yeah, I was on your India Spora page, your Indian Diaspora page, so I have some questions about that. Hmm. Oh, about interesting. In- okay. About Let's the Indian talk. Diaspora. Well, the, what I know about the Indian Diaspora, I get from commercials during cricket matches. And this is literally how I learn about the Indian diaspora and gender roles and conflicts in the modern day Indian family. This is so interesting. I didn't even know I had an Indian diaspora page. You didn't know? I don't know who created this. No, yeah. So, so my cousin is a member. He's pretty active and added me. Um, And I had no idea, but that must be one of my first Google results, huh? That's interesting. Well, well, I'm actually a thorough ethnographer, so I go at least to the second page of the Google results. Gotcha. (laughs) That's good to know. Being an academic, I'm very rigorous. I mean, the third page, I don't know. At least the second page is always a a good bet to get into the juicy details of people's lives. Yeah, I should go in and edit this stuff. Um, It was impressive. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I appreciate it. It's, um, it's a little outdated, so some kind of wondering what's in here. But um, anyway, so questions. You had questions about this page in particular, or were you just joking around? No, actually, actually, I do watch Indian cricket quite a bit. I watch the Indian Premier League, and it's always interesting to look at the commercials. Which, even though they're in Hindi, you can kind of get a sense of what it's all about. And so I, I have like the, the the kids who are in the United States with their parents back at home in India. And their parents look very sad until the kids send them money using an app, and then the parents are happy. <laughs> so there's, so I, there's like that. I mean, remittances are huge. Yeah. So I, um, I suppose I'm a, I'm a member of Indiaspora, but my, I don't have any family, or at least family that I'm connected with in India. So my, my dad's from Pakistan, and my mom was born and raised in East Africa, and her grandparents moved there from India. So, um, I'm not sending many remittances as it is, but, um, but definitely not to India right now. But, uh, but those, those, uh, commercials do sound appealing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. So an India Pakistani marriage, I mean, my, my grandfather was Syrian Orthodox and my grandmother was Lebanese Catholic. And that caused some problems in the family. From what I understand, my grand, my great grandmother chased my grandfather around the kitchen with a meat cleaver because he was going to convert. So we got that in our family history. Hmm. I can only imagine a Pakistani Indian marriage. That's 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 unique. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's um, I, I'm not sure why but for whatever reason um it it was never a thing in our family probably because like my mom you know she she doesn't have any really strong allegiance to india because she you know she was born in africa her parents were born in africa so i think her ties back to india are are relatively loose i see yeah and i i i want to actually to ask you about but first i want to talk to adam about this i want to set it up for adam so adam did you did you hear how I, I was introduced to Amira originally? I did not. Or I do not know. Okay. So here's the story. And, and Amira, you, you, you really freaked me out when this happened. So just hang in there for a second with me. So I was going on the Glow FM page, setting up our page for Experience by Design. And there was a mm-hmm. certain point where I got confused at what ne- my next step to take. So I didn't complete the registration process. <sighs> so then shortly thereafter, I got an email 
saying, oh, we noticed you were setting up your page. Um, and if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to ask us, Amira. I'm like, oh, that's cute. Hmm. The bot actually uh, has the CEO's name on it as a nice touch of customer experience. Let me see how sophisticated the bot is. So I sent a response back thinking it was a bot. It was mm -hmm. an automated response of some kind. Yeah. And then I made reference to Cambridge, <clears throat> Massachusetts, where I knew Amira lived after reading about her. And I got another response back with Cambridge worked into the response. I'm like, oh, this is a really good bot. <laughs> because, because this is really sophisticated. Someone must have gone through a lot to set this up, to use a natural language processing, the pull content into an email response to make it sound like it was really from Amira because she is, after all, the CEO and founder of the company. So she's not going to be emailing me individually. So I went back and forth playing with this bot for a little while. Then I realized, no, that's not a bot. It's actually Amira. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, that you must have caught me at a, a quiet Sunday or something, huh? <laughs> I was a little freaked out. I'm like, what? I don't – how – do you do this for everybody? I mean, is that like your <laughs> – is that the kind of customer experience that Glow FM provides? I mean, it was kind of – it was impressive. But at the same time, I was like, that's pretty unique. I, I hmm. try to. You know, so it's, it's funny. I, I try to send an email to every customer, you know, like – maybe once a week or once every few days, I sort of batch them and send an automated email. It's a template email, to be clear, but but I send it from my account. And what's funny is I realize most people don't respond because because they think it's a bot. So right. <laughs> so, so now I'm thinking, well, like, you know, I, I take the time to batch them and I send them out. Uh, so one of the things we're doing is we're actually implementing a bot that will actually send those emails on my behalf. So I don't, so I don't do them anyway. But if but if you respond, yeah, it it is actually me, and and I try to I try to get back to to every customer or at least sort of send them in the right direction. Now, the the level of activity varies. Sometimes I you know I just have a quiet afternoon, and sometimes it's a little crazier. But um, but yeah, you know we're we're growing quickly, but we're, we're small enough that that I, that we can do that. Um, and, and like I said, most people don't respond. They just think it's a bot. <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm, so the, I'm the guy, I'm the guy who was, and then we actually got in the conversation about the user interface and the, and the page design and the workflow and journey mapping of, of new people into the site. That's so, right. Because, oh because my it's goodness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause I was, you know, I'm like, well, if you, if you tweak this here, cause of course everyone has opinions, you get a website, everyone's got an opinion about how to make it better. Um, it's like raising kids. Everyone comes up to you and says, well, you know, if you would have done that, they wouldn't have turned out to be so obnoxious, you know, and you're like, thanks mm -hmm. so much for your help. So <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine that, you know, well, you don't get many people like me, which I guess on the one hand is kind of cool for me. By the other hand, it makes me think maybe I should be spending my time more wisely? I mean, maybe other people should be, are busier than me that they don't have time to respond to you. I got questions about my own life now, but it was interesting that we were actually communicating directly. And that got me really into this idea of like, what is Glow FM all about? Hmm. And what was the, the genesis of this idea? Absolutely. So my, um, Glow.FM is, uh, the simplest, most flexible way for podcasters to start a membership program. So 
We believe that the future of podcasting is going to be largely paid. We think that's where a lot of revenue in the podcasting world is going to be. And rather than all that revenue go to big platforms, we want it to go directly into the hands of podcasters. And so we make it possible and really easy for podcasters to set up uh, relationships directly with their listeners, where listeners can either pay them just to support them or in exchange for exclusive content. Um, And so we are a turnkey solution that makes it possible for any podcaster to, in 10 minutes, go to our website, set up their page, uh, connect that to exclusive content, maybe a Xavier app where they can deliver even more than exclusive audio, maybe newsletters, video, et cetera, um, and launch launch very quickly. And then, you know, of course, topped off by an email from me. Um, of course, yeah. And, and the genesis really comes with... Um, my life back in Cambridge, uh, which I don't, I don't remember if I mentioned Gary, but so I used to live in Cambridge and um, my first podcast was a local news podcast called Backyard Cambridge. And it was about the city council election there. And so, you know, I got really frustrated by the idea of walking into a voting booth and not knowing who I was voting for. And I said, why don't I interview all the people running for city council? There are 26 people running for city council. And I said, because Cambridge. Yep, that's Cambridge. <laughs> Every Cambridge, year. Right. I, I think it was more this year. Um, and I interviewed them and I put together a series on the election. And it was five episodes at the time of my life. And after we had released the last episode, right after the election, I had people come to me and say, hey, I, w- I want more. Like, are you going to do more of this? Like, what's this going to look like? And I, I started to do a lot of things you, you guys probably teach in your, te- teach in your classes. I... I met them. I did a bunch of user interviews. I tried to figure out what about the product they liked. I tried to figure out willingness to pay. And I sort of conceived of this idea of basically a subscription-based local news podcast. I said, advertising is not going to be big enough. It's it's a small base of people, but, you know, you get a decent number of them to pay and it doesn't have to be high, but that's, that's enough to pay for, you know, a small annual salary. And you can think about scaling that out and building alternate revenue streams. And so I had this whole idea for a subscription-based local news product with a podcast at the root. Um, and then I went to go implement it and I realized there is no easy way to charge for a podcast. Um, and I was like, that is crazy. How could that be? Hmm. And so the genesis of Glow was was really solving my own problem, which is um, trying to develop a new business model for podcasters who want to have you know, an alternative revenue stream and, and one that puts them, um, you know, their fate so directly in the hands of their listeners and, and enables them to achieve their creative vision. Hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's super cool. And, and thank you for doing that. <laughs> this is, it's a, it's a, a great service to, to think with and, and to kind of, you know, build a model that empowers podcasters from the level of, you know, the podcaster up. So, so it's, it's cool to see that you began kind of as a podcaster and that's what gave you the impetus. So you're not just coming in from the outside saying, Oh, I have an idea to like, you know, build an amazing revenue stream, uh, but that you, you saw it firsthand. And, and now, I mean, I guess it's probably a little in the past, but now I'm totally interested in checking out Backyard Cambridge, <laughs> right? <laughs> seeing what it's about. Um, actually, as, as a side note too, I'm, I'm one of the organizers organizers of sound education. So I saw your money talks panel, um, back in October, um, when you were talking about glow and that, the, the, the reason that we even know what glow is also for this reason is cause I saw you there. Um, and I tipped Gary off, then he talked to your robot self, which is actually you, which is great. So there's this whole nice life cycle of, I saw you in person, which then so did Gary, but he didn't know it cause he thought you were a robot. 
Um, you're a robot. <laughs> we are magic. Yeah. Wow. Um, no, but this is that's actually really cool. So, I mean, I'd love to kind of think break down a little bit about this process too. So, you went from you had the idea of how do we build the subscription model, and so how did you think about then? You know, have you done startups or companies before this, or is this kind of the first company that you got started with? I did a couple of, of sort of smaller sta- smaller scale companies uh, before this, um, and. You know, so I started a, a sort of Airbnb for home cooked foods, um, ran it for about a year, ran into regulatory issues, um, mm. understandably, but, you know, it ate yeah. incredibly well for that year and had a ton of fun doing it. Um, <laughs> and then you know, I had some sort of experience uh, working at other companies. So I spent some time at Airbnb. Um, but this is, yeah, this is my first sort of run at building out a, a venture back startup with, with a full team and budget and things like that. Yeah, cool. I mean, no, so um, yeah, so congratulations on that because you're doing an amazing, uh, amazing job, um, and it's incredible to see that. You know, I'm just looking at you know on TechCrunch and stuff, we can see that you know you've already raised 2.3 million dollars to help podcasters, which is crazy. Um, so you're definitely one of like the main teams out there, like doing good for the world of, of, of independent podcasts. And so, have you? I mean, how do you sort of leverage relationships? I, I want to like think about two sides. One is is the the podcaster side, and then how do you sort of generate relationships? Uh, with with podcasters, is this sort of through you know email marketing, or do you speak at conferences? Obviously, that's that's one good way of doing it. Um, what are some of the methods that you do to get in touch with podcasters to let them know about Glow? Yeah, I mean, this is this is one domain where where maybe you could advise me. Um, we're we're still figuring it out. So you know, I'll, I'll tell you some of the things that we've tried, but but there's no sort of silver bullet. One is conferences, um, hmm. and conferences are great because. It might be a limited set of people, but but it does two things. One is there's nothing like that in-person interaction between you and someone else yeah. um, to help you be able to communicate um, what you're doing and, and to really be able to understand their problems. And, and two, it, it puts you in touch with all the conversations that podcasters are having. You know, I, I can sit here and, and read podcasting newsletters every morning and listen to endless podcasts and have tons of user interviews, but but there's nothing like being in a room where a few hundred podcasters are asking questions and you start to see the patterns of, of what they're asking about and what they want out of the product to help you feel closer to what you do. So co- conferences are certainly one good way that we build relationships. Um, and then two, I think um, it is a lot of a lot of cold email outreach. That's how we sort of start at first. Hmm. Um, and, and we continue to do that. Um, to miss, mix success, as, as you guys both know, you know, something great happening is that the podcast market is growing substantially, which is awesome. Uh, but it also means like podcasters are getting pinged by emails right and left, you know? Um, right, right. And so there's a lot of people going after this market. And so, you know, from our standpoint, what we do is we try to make sure that we're going after podca- podcasters who we've pre-qualified, who we think this would be good fits for. And, and that's why I think when we go after uh, podcasters via email, we get good responses. Hmm. Um, but, but it is um, an increasingly saturated stream. Um, and then the third way is, is referrals. Um, so, you know, we have a, a growing base of clients who are excited to use us and our best customers refer us to other podcasters and say, you know, you should do this. This is making me good money. Um, and, and that's, you know, one base that we, that we love and, and want to encourage. And from a product perspective, you know, we've, we've done zero to make this easy. Um, but I think it really need to be to sort of think more, deeply about how we encourage their referral network. The podcast thing is so interesting. I mean, I, I used to be on a podcast called Elevation Trail for four years or so that was on endurance sports, like ultra marathons and things like that. Adam does this Anthro Life as well as other projects. So we've both 
been doing podcasting for a while. But at the same time, it's like, you know, what is this podcast movement all about? When I, when we, Adam and I got together to create this joint project, I told a few people about that and they said, oh yeah, I want to do a podcast too. And it's great, right? It's like old people going to an art class, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know what, you're, there's something inside of you that you're trying to get out onto the canvas that you might not have ever had the opportunity to do in this technology and this medium, this format allows you to do that. But at the end of the day, is it just to create art or are you trying to do a thing with it? How many of these podcasts that are being developed are, you know, professional ventures aimed at providing some kind of content to it towards an audience versus I got some things to say and I got a mic and I want to say them and I don't care who listens. Do you have any sense of what this podcast movement is all about right now? Yeah, lots of thoughts. Uh, let me structure them really quickly. Um, I'll take your time. This is a podcast. We can have four hours if you want. <laughs> it's an advantage. Right. Um, so I think I think um, it's it's sort of all of the above, right? So there's there's something like eight hundred thousand podcasts in the world. My hunch is the vast majority of them are are, are sort of that. I don't want to. I don't want to denigrate it because I think it's quite the opposite. But but they fall into that that category of like old people at an art class sort of categories that we were talking about, which is people people have a a lot of creativity and yeah. they see this as an incredible medium to be able to get that in the world and it's beautiful, right? Like it's it's such a great way to be able to take what you're thinking and and find a way to um, to craft it and, and offer it out, you know, in in such a a powerful way. There's there's something about the voice that is um, more powerful and, and has a different way of communicating than any other medium out there. And I, and I, I would tell you the voice and storytelling, right? I, I totally yeah. agree. I don't want to be misconstrued. I think it's wonderful if people yeah. can be out there and telling stories, connecting, going back to this oral format, which is at the origins. Adam knows more about this more than I do. The origins of human civilization. Old school it's, humans. It's storytelling. Yeah. You know, it's that storytelling element, you know, the old, the first podcast around the campfire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. It's, I, I was writing like a blurb on the power of voice like a year ago and, and it was like, yeah, like the most, some of the most powerful stories in the world. Um, yeah. We're, we're told via voice. It's people are behind the campfire. It's, it's the odyssey. It's, it's the Quran, right? Like right, exactly. they yeah. came to us as, um, as speech directly. Um, and so I think, you know, just like almost every form of expression, the vast majority of people in podcasting are, are mostly hobbyists. It's mostly a form of, of expression. And if there's a way to subsidize costs or make it more frictionless or make a little bit of money, that's great. But, but they're not business ventures. And then there's a subset of podcasting. I would say maybe the top 1% or even, even the top maybe a little less than that, um, where you start to get to business potential. Um, whereas, you know, these are folks that have thought about um, really diligently, like, what is my audience? How do I grow it? What is my revenue potential? Let's build out a, a business model for it. How do I think about capturing downloads per episodes, demographic data? Um, again, much like almost any other creative medium, right? The vast majority of like home movies made are for personal use and expressive use and, and a small amount go out to be commercial. Um, right. Same with writing, all the above. I think what's really interesting about podcasting is for so long, it's been a direct 
greater to consumer media. There hasn't been much of an infrastructure to build business around it. And it's only recently, really only in the past like six months, a year, where like big dogs have started to play, right? Like Sony getting in there, Spotify getting in there, all the major networks. And so you're starting to see this era with the professionalization of podcasting. But what I think is cool is because podcasting has been a direct creator consumer medium for so long, it's it's the medium that I think is going to pioneer um, the future of, I think, like independent media or yeah, independent media creators being able to build their own independent businesses as opposed to feeling like they have to be associated with a big dog in order to make money. Because the norms have already been established around so many people being able to establish their own business without having to have a sign-off from a big network or an aggregator, um, the norms have been established for, for how to start doing this. And it's still evolving. There's so much work to be done. But but it's not either you're acquired by a studio and get an agent or you're a hobbyist anymore, right? It's it's you could be you could have an agent, you could be part of a studio, you could be a hobbyist, or you could be an independent podcaster and have a thriving business. And, and some of the biggest ones do make upwards of seven figures a year, but we work with quite a few at Glow who make in the high five figures, even the mid six really? figures. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. And and there's room there. And I think that's gonna continue thriving. And, and that to me is what's most exciting about the space is the the real the real um, potential to help pioneer independent media. And I think there'll be spillover to different forms of media. Like I think, you know, the, the world is is starting to swing this pendulum um, towards a place where people are willing to pay for media again. They realize that ad-free content only isn't necessarily a healthy thing. And so I think podcasting will be first, but I think over the next course of the next five or six years, you'll see everyone have sort of a set of content creators that they support directly. They'll subscribe to their channels. They'll follow all their stuff. And, and podcasting is sort of the tip of that sphere. Do you, have you have you found so far in in the different kind of models that you or the different uh, ways that one could use Glow in terms of offering ad free content or offering bonus content, for example, have you found that there is a particular format that people tend to gravitate towards, such as you know offering bonus content for for a paid subscription or doing ad free? Is there any of the this maybe if you can't disclose it, that's fine, but like uh, I'm kind of curious if there's any metrics or in data you found so far that that you know a lot of independent creators are leaning towards making bonus episodes or just making content without ads or something like that, that they find most exciting about using with Glow? Yeah. So I don't have the stats on our current breakdown mm. on the website offhand. Um, this is a combat answer, but but I'll say it varies widely. And <laughs> yeah. really, really like the number one indicator that that works for creators and, and, and we really tell people to think about is think about why your listeners listen to you. Like, you know, people, the people who listen to you, they're spending you know, really valuable time on their day to mm-hmm. keep you in their mm-hmm. ear, you know? And even if it's a hundred people, that's a hundred people who are choosing to spend half an hour, an hour with you. Like that's powerful stuff. Why do they do that? And, um, you know, for some shows it's, um, it's about delivering a really crisp delivery of news in a, time constrained way like the time constraint is part of the perk of the podcast it fits in your commute and so for those podcasts you know ad free tends to work particularly well and that's what they gravitate towards because Hmm. you know they're typically daily shows with consistent cadences but the listener is listening to them because they value their time and so by paying extra they can they can um, even get one up on their time yeah yeah, for their shows maybe like this one it's really like they feel 
akin to the creators, right? They they love hmm. sort of hearing them. They, they love being a part of the conversation. And so the opportunity to feel a deeper part of that conversation or additional part of that conversation um, or feel like a more uncut part of that conversation is, is really beautiful and so, or is really worthwhile. And so you know, for them, um, oftentimes either like the raw uncut version of the episode or just an extra bonus episode that's almost purposefully underproduced um those tend to do quite well and in what the creators gravitate towards um and then there's some content that's like what i call like liquid content it's highly transactional it's uh personal finance advice it's fitness advice it's it's stuff where you know this is things that people pay for in every medium and find really specific value in that information itself and so some of those creators they'll just straight up paywall half the content and that works really Mm. well um and so it really is much more about what is the what is the job to be done by your podcast and how does the uh, direct payments program help double down on that rather than like, you know, what does sort of the split look like? Because the split is sort of all over the place. Mm, that's, that's a great answer. That's great to think with too. And I love this concept of what is the job of your podcast to do. That's really great for uh, creators of all kinds to think about because it's, um, I mean, one of the interesting pieces too that we've seen in the industry over the past, you know, five years. I mean, obviously, yeah. I think you said the the crazy stat before, right? That we're at some something around eight hundred thousand podcasts that are out right now, which is insane. And uh, you know, like not even any one person could ever listen to all those in their entire life. And you know, so it comes to a question of how do you choose what to listen to, right? And then, and also, what is it that you know the creator wants to do? And so we kind of discussed the idea of there being the modern day bard, I suppose, where we want to get out and, you know, sell, tell our song to the world. And then hopefully if we can get a patron, then, then feel good about it and, and make it sustainable on a business level. But uh, I, I think what's, what's really interesting about this too, is that you mentioned too, that when, you, when you're thinking about reaching out to people, reaching out to potential clients for people to use Glow, um, you mentioned this interesting phrase of, of trying to sort of pre-qualifying people. And that's an interesting idea. And I'm, I'm wondering how much that's related to, as you mentioned too previously about certain, you know, podcasters, whether we call them hobbyists or other people that kind of have a, a broader idea of thinking about making this into a business venture or, or already successfully doing so. And, you know, is, is that part of this qualification process? I'm just kind of curious to think about how we might think about different podcasters, right? We have the hobbyists, then we have this. And I don't know, do, do most people that use Glow or does Glow sort of cater to people that have some sense of a business sensibility about what they want to do with their podcast? Yeah, 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 we do. Um, so we have we have multiple tiers of Glow. So, you know, our, our first sort of basic tier is, is straight listener support. And this is, you know, for for someone who's out there, um, you know, producing content, they're not necessarily thinking of it as a business. They're more of a hobbyist, uh, but they want to give their listeners the chance to support what they do. We make hmm. it you know, really simple to set up a listener support page. Someone can pay with Apple or Google Pay. They could charge on a one-time, monthly, or annual basis, or all of the above. Um, and we don't charge a dime for that. Like the only the only price is the tra- the credit card transaction fee. Oh, cool. And anyone can sign up for that. And so we, we're really excited about, about having that product available because what we believe is a lot of podcasters start off as hobbyists and then as maybe they get more and more mature or learn more about their craft, they think about maybe going full time, then they might evolve into businesses and choose our other offerings. But our base tier is, is really geared towards any podcaster who wants to set up a listener support program. Hmm. But when we think about businesses that are, or podcasters that are most likely to use Glow, and, and that's, you know, 
ones that might actually enjoy getting our email, right? It's qualification for them <laughs> as much as it's qualification yeah, right. for us. But but the ones that are most likely to respond, the ones that are intrigued by our offering, these are ones who often are starting to think about how do I take this hobby and turn it into a business or, or I already have a content business. <clears throat> how do I get into this podcasting game? Mm, um, right, yeah. And and for them, you know, the, the things that we make possible, super frictionless checkout flow, putting your brand first, making it possible to pay well content. Um, those are things that you want to do if you're really starting to think about re- like revenue potential. You're thinking critically about different business models. So, you know, our clients who are uh, willing to pay well content, a lot of them have made the affirmative decision to say, I don't need everyone in the world to listen to my podcasts, but I need... 400, but they pay me 30 bucks a month. And, and that's, that's enough for a six figure income for me. Like that's great. And mm. so finding clients who are primed to make these choices or are already making the choices about building a business and are thinking a little critically about um, what the trade-offs might be of running a direct revenue stream and are willing to sort of uh, think through that is, is one of the things that, that we really look for when we, figure out who to reach out to because because we know that they'll like our product offered more. You know, it, most of the time when I find someone who's already trying to offer some kind of premium content using a duct tape solution, they love what we have to put in front of them. And so from our standpoint, it's, you know, let, let's find them. Let's find all those people out there who already love our product. Uh, and of course, anyone who wants to use our product, we're welcome to use it and we have a product for you. But if you're already thinking about putting premium content out there or you want a way to, to offer a private podcast, like, you're you're right in our sweet spot like we'll find you and, and email you and, and you'll probably respond <laughs> right <laughs> but I, th- I think adam i think we i think amira just gave us the idea that you need to pay while fitness advice that's exactly right yeah first i gotta start that's working out and I, I need a fitness yeah well <laughs> well you know pay pay now and follow adam's uh, fitness journey and, <laughs> and, and all the hilarity that is yeah but it, it does raise this interesting question at least in my mind and i start to think about things like oh you know, do we paywall ethnography device so if your company wants to run an ethnographic project but are unsure how to do so send us your question and we'll post an answer when you know for a subscription fee you'll learn from other people as well i mean what is the thing that is special hmm. right about the podcast the content or the personality you know am i interesting enough that people would want to pay to get behind the scenes footage of whatever it is that i have going on here i mean and, and at what point do you feel that i have something more to offer or what kind of content do i offer that people that will be willing then to pay extra for um when Quite frankly, there might be searchable content online for free, but but with less entertainment value. You know what I mean? I mean, so how do they like package and brand that so that it is this valuable thing beyond just the content itself? Yeah, I mean, it's the number one question our customers ask us is is what can I offer? Right? What will people um, what, what will people want to pay for? And we actually have on our website we have. Um, a whole blog post sort of dedicated to figuring out how to answer this question and complete with exercises. And the way to, the way to approach it is, um, is as an experiment, you know, you try something, you iterate on it. Um, just like you teach your students is like, you, you put something out there based on hypothesis, uh, you see how well it does and then you iterate and let it go again. And, and you don't have to stick with something for a long time, but, uh, if it's not working, but, you know, for when it comes to ethnography advice or design advice, um, you know, it, it could be it could be something as simple as uh, for experience by design, um, you know, become become a supporter and um, 
we will once every two weeks, you know, email out our favorite design tip to you as a thank you, or, you know, like our our top five favorite blog posts um, on design that week or, or design tips, uh, or, you know, um, and you see how well that works. You try it for three months, you see what the uptick gets, you sort of talk about what the membership benefit is on your regular show and see what resonates with people. Um, and if it works, you double down. If it doesn't work, then you sort of revert and go back to the drawing board. But it's all about starting off with a hypothesis based on why you think your listeners might spend time listening to you, building something around that hypothesis that is relatively easy to put together, your MVP, and then uh, putting it out into the world. It's kind of funny. Go ahead, Gary. No, I was going to say, it's, it's funny how, how design thinking sneaks into, <laughs> into everything, but it also works, you know. Um, and I actually, yeah, I appreciate right. this idea too, because uh, it, it's funny because, you know, the idea of making a podcast is uh, obviously it, it's it's its own endeavor, but I think that's actually really salient advice is to think about, uh, you know, both what you're producing and what you can offer as experiments. And so it's, you're not, you're not, get, you know, you're not required to do one thing and say, okay, this didn't work. I failed. I'm done forever. But yeah, let me put out a hypothesis. Maybe people would be interested in some written content that would go with the audio content, for example, or maybe they would value their, like this show's about you know, helping people maximize their time. So therefore, yes, if I do an ad-free uh, episode, that will be uh, what they want. But I, I think the idea of, yes, yeah, sort of framing that as an experiment, as a hypothesis, time boxing it and just saying, I'm going to do it for three months and see, and then, then, you know, come to the end and say, measure it and say, did it work? Did it not work? What, how much did it work? And then kind of making decisions based on that is brilliant. And it's funny uh, because that is, uh, language that I think a lot of podcasters perhaps don't begin their their thought process with in terms of they're saying as a creator, I want to make something. But oftentimes an artist may not be thinking about, let me test if the painting works or not, you know. However, uh, in the audio medium, this is, it's, it's you know, I love the idea of, this is not, liquid content is a very cool phrase, <laughs> you know, but it, it's like a liquid right, medium right. too, right? And the fact that like it's ephemeral and that, you know, you can make it and then it's there and then it exists for you to then put out and test and then you can make something else. And it's not the same kind of labor. I mean, I don't know. I work as a sound designer too, and there's labor in that. But like this, this kind of podcast where we're talking is is a different kind of labor uh, that so much lends itself to experimentation. I think that's really nice. Um, that I, I know. I'm just. I don't know. I'm just saying. I feel refreshed by that that way of thinking. Um, it's funny because yes, I teach design and I and I teach design thinking. Um, but it's like to apply that to one's own life is actually a, a fun and therapeutic idea that we don't often take. Yeah. Well, it's. Um... <clears throat> It, it's hard. It, it's easy for me to say, say right? It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? It's hard when you're in, um, you know, the, the cycle of putting out episodes and trying to figure out what to offer. And a lot of times it just takes someone to be in there to brainstorm with, to tell you, like, well, why don't you do this? And, and you know, um, for different people are different ways, but going to zero, one, zero to one is often the hardest mm. part. So if you brainstorm an idea of what people might like based on your hypothesis, and, and creating one or creating sort of your first series, your MVP, is is difficult. But if you can get over that hump, um, then you have something to put out in the world, and all of a sudden you start getting feedback, and um, you know th- things start feeling a little a little more manageable. Well, it is it is the art example of going back to that again, right? Are you creating art for yourself? Are you creating it for people to buy? And I've known artists who do both, right? They have art that they produce, which they think there's an audience and a market for. And they do it to sell, to make money, to make a living. And then there's stuff that they do for themselves, which they don't care if anybody ever sees, but it's an expression of the reason why they got into it in the first place. And so there's always this duality in creativity. There's, you know, there's creating a song 
because it, there's something inside of you you want to express. And then there's creating a song because it's going to be a pop hit. And with the podcasting thing, what are people looking for? There was a really great quote, um, if I can quote you real quick, Amira, that you, you said there's, there needs to be more research on podcasting. The quote I read from you was, more qualitative ethnographic studies that help us better understand who is listening and how we might be able to better meet their needs still haven't been done. So I thought that was kind mm-hmm. of interesting too, being to ethnographers, this need for ethnographic work on what, where are they listening to? Why are they listening to? Um, what, what, what gap is it filling? There's so much content out there right now that why is this thing kind of the thing that is stimulating their um, thought process and, and filling a gap that otherwise hasn't been explored? So yes, more ethnographic work. I think that's uh, a sage advice. Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, now I'm thinking, when did I say that, you know? Yeah, I'll look it up. Again, I, like I said, I go past the you first page me? of results. <laughs> this is on page three here. homework here. You know? yeah. This might be page three. I'll, I'll look it up, you know, because it is my uh, Amira, um, you know, stalking. Uh, it's ethnography. You're fine. It's here. cool. Yeah, it's, it's all ethnography. Uh, ethnography. If, if you stalk people and are voyeurs, if you say you're doing ethnographic work, it's totally fine. It's legitimized. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of absurd how little we know about when people listen to podcasts, right? Like it is, the data is so limited and it's, it's really only done by like one firm. Um, and so just understanding, understanding the need that people are are filling is really, really important. Uh, There's one stat, which I I might botch the numbers, but it's, it's directionally correct, which is, I think something like 20% of Americans listen to podcasts on a weekly basis. Hmm. Um, and that number is 90% for terrestrial radio, right? Wow. So there, there is still so much growth to be had in the industry. Like we are not even close. Um, but, but clearly there's, there's a ton of jobs to be done that terrestrial radio is helping fill. I suspect it's, it's largely commute time um, that podcasting is starting to fill or, or people are just trying to figure out like how, how to get in. I think the idea of a morning talk show is, is fascinating for that reason. Like the job to be done is... Like I turn something on and don't have to think about it. Um, and what is the podcast that meets that need? I don't, I don't know if there is one. It's maybe a morning podcast. show. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah. also, but maybe one that like markets itself as like turn us on, you know, we're going to, we're going to put it out every day at 8am for your commute or something, you know, um, or I don't know, I, I guess live podcasting isn't so much of a thing yet. That'd be kind of harder to navigate. I mean, you, you could do live radio, yeah. I suppose, but then that's not a podcast, is it? I don't know. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> um, but yeah, but even you're, but you're right. I mean, you make, you make me think about like, how would you brand a show that is about your morning commute, you know, because there is, there's a podcast I'm thinking of, for example, that's called uh, the tech ride home, which is, you know, designed yeah. for whatever. Oh, really? oh, whatever oh very customers. cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that it's, it's all, it's all coming back to each other here. Um, you know, yeah, but I, I love the idea of that show. I enjoy the show too, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, Put out so you can have it on your way home. You know, I mean, I work from home, so I don't commute. But if I did, <laughs> I would listen to it on my commute. You know, and uh, and so I think that like there is ways, and I, and I appreciate when podcasts do things like that. Where obviously this is an on-demand, you know, medium that you can get at any point. However, uh, it is kind of nice to then then have certain shows that make you associate them with either certain activities or or time frames like that. And so that that is kind of, I guess, a way of thinking about their MVP as well. It's, it's, so how many podcasts do you actually have to listen to? Uh, do you listen to a week, Amira? I'm just kind of curious. Since you're in this space, is it kind of like when you go home, I don't want to take my home, my work home with me? Or is it <laughs> that you know you feel that you have to be up on what's going on and you have meetings about new podcasts and you listen to all 800,000 of them? I mean, how does this work in your world? 
Oh man. Uh, well, I mostly listen to podcasts that I've been a fan of for a long time, and the re- one of the reasons I got in the space was. I just listen to a lot of podcasts. So I probably listen to three or four hours of podcasts a day. Um, but yeah, it ebbs and flows. So, you know, some, some weeks I just want, uh, I, I listen to them a lot on my commute, on my walk. Uh, so some weeks I just I just want quiet and maybe shift to music. But uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, you know, it's it's shifted, I've realized, to be my number one way of consuming news. As you said, I used to work um, at the State Department in the White House. So, you know, I, I'm... Uh, formerly a policymaker, really passionate about policy and politics and what happens in Washington. Um, and I've realized like podcasting has shifted to be my number one way of consuming news and current events. Um, and that's a lot of what I, what I use my podcast to do. And it is interesting how, and I, I do want to get back to the state department thing in a second, but it is interesting how even shows like, you know, sports radio shows here in Boston, I listen to 98.5, the sports hub, they have a podcast for their sports show. So they go from being on the air terrestrial radio, then to doing a podcast, then to doing a Facebook live. And they're also on Twitch. And so it is kind of mind blowing. I don't know who has time for all of this to consume all of this, but it is kind of mind blowing how the, how omni channel it's becoming all these different streams and to what extent do people design the content for these different outlets in different kinds of ways where the Facebook live looks one way, the show on the terrestrial looks another way. The podcast is another thing. Twitch is a whatever that is, and then maybe TikTok will throw it in there for good measure as well. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's fascinating, right? I mean, if you're a creator that has some time, you know, you're you're trying to often think about two things: how do I reach more people, and how do I get more money? And so, what you start to see is, and it's become especially trend in radio because they're while while they still have huge market share, the market share is declining. Is they'll take one piece of content and repurpose it every different way. You know, they'll they'll put it on a podcast, they'll put it on Twitch, they'll put it on YouTube. Um, and it's all a way to try to maximize your reach and maximize your audience. So it's rarely one person listening in all of the different places and much more like let's give our audience options and let's figure out how we can maybe use that as a discovery tool. So a lot of podcasters will post their shows on YouTube because podcast discovery sucks and it's really hard, but on YouTube, it's a lot easier to get discovered because they're algorithm. Um, and so you know, it's sort of one pattern of, of creators often will go um, anywhere where there might be audience to found, be found and, and the limiting factor is time. Same with money, right? You'll go anywhere you can to find money. You'll go through direct roaming streams, you'll go through advertising, go through affiliate marketing, go through live shows, you go through merch, but the limiting factor is time. Um, right. And if, if you had infinite time, you would sort of look at all those different factors and you prioritize them. Maybe you'd cross off one or two and you'd say, it's not right for me, but but you you certainly you know don't want to diversify your audience or your money to just one stream if you can avoid it. Yeah, I totally get that. And, you know, one of the things that was, kind of mind-blowing about when I was researching you again, going through your four pages of Google results, was, I got to ask, was Brown and Dartmouth your safety schools? Because you're you're educational. (laughs) I mean, you're going like from Yale, Poli, Sci to Harvard, you know, Kennedy School of Government to Wharton Business School at Penn. I mean, what's it like to be that smart? Hmm. (laughs) I have no idea what it would be like to go like, am I going to go to Yale or I'll go to Harvard for graduate school? Yeah, (laughs) I'll go to Yale first. That, that's super sweet. Um, I I had great parents and a great education and worked super hard when I was in high school and then 
um, you know, ended up at my dream school, which was Yale. And then um, after spending some time in government, you know, I was really passionate about impact. And so went time to DC after graduating, got a couple of great jobs in government and, and really want to think about, uh, you know, where I could go to still make impact, but, but probably more from a business lens. I realized, you know, I didn't want to spend my career working at the ladder in government. I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, I was always interested in business. And so, you know, I was trying to figure out how to combine those interests. Um, and so, you know, I applied to the best schools that, that I could go to, to try to uh, brush up on those skills. And, um, and yeah, the, the Kennedy School at Harvard um, offered me a place and, and Wharton offered me a place. And so, uh, you know, lucky to get to go to both those schools and, and mostly just to meet all the people that get to go to those schools because there's some pretty awesome people that I've met along the way. And it's not, probably not surprising that going back, to, I mean, you think about the podcast as a format and your mission right now, which is this democratizing of, of information and content and creativity. And, you know, Obama... President Obama being a community organizer background when I remember he was running for office and someone said to me, well, what, what, is, what can a community organizer do? I'm like, oh, gee, I don't know. Organize people to vote. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, people are dismissive of these essential skills that are critical for making society happen. And so I, I don't think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, that there's that far of a leap from a poli sci degree looking to make impact and then working for the Obama administration, trying to have impact to then trying to promote podcasting, which is about, I would say, democratizing of views and content that has an impact on people's everyday life. Yeah. I mean, you told my story for me. It's, it's, it's right on point. I mean, one of the key things I learned when I was in the Obama administration was um, the role of the media and how important a really healthy public discussion and well-informed public discussion was to everything. You know, it, it impacted how we made policy. It impacted the events of um, of the world. And what I saw was was a need to be able to help promote a healthier public discussion and, and make it easier to uh, to make that financially sustainable. And you know, when I when I left, I hadn't even heard really of podcasting, uh, but I fell in love with podcasting my first year of grad school and. I was like, this is everything, you know, this, this is a format that makes it possible to communicate nuance, to communicate empathy, um, to really grab people's attention and, and help them go deep into issues. And, and that's what I love about podcasting. That's what I want to enable people to do is, is to be able to find sustainable or, or, or even thrive, um, putting great analysis, great content, great comedy, whatever it is out into the world to build a healthier, uh, public forum. And I have to say that when President Obama went to Mark Marin to WTF podcast, that was kind of a big deal, right? I mean, I, I, I'm an avid listener of WTF. And so the fact that the president went to his garage, right, um, to record, to make it as authentic as possible. And when he asked the president, you know, why, why would you come here? It was, you know, well, you have an audience that's particular that I can reach more effectively through you than through an MSNBC or a CNN or some other kind of venue. So there's a richness of outreach and an intimacy that one can get through this kind of mission-driven um, art form, if you will, that people are devoting themselves to without the financial backing to begin with. And so you know it's kind of like this, you know, this passion project 
that I think attracts folks because of the authenticity of the calling that people are looking to fill. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, as, as our media environment grows more diverse and you can get information from literally everywhere, um, the key is going to be figuring out like what your key sources are and, and how people who want to get messages across figure out how to reach people. And so getting on Mark Mara is an awesome way to be able to reach an audience, right? Because not everyone watches the four or three big TV news sources anymore. In fact, I, you know, I, I don't know people who do, um, although, of course, of course, they're still out there. And I, I think also like just the, and I want to touch on again this idea of democratizing audio too. I think it's such a, an important and powerful idea that certainly was was you know, one of the earlier reasons that I was interested in doing podcasting too. Is just that there is there's a way. I mean, you know, I, I began for a much more nerdy reason in that um, I, I couldn't find any content that was actually promoting ethnography or anthropological thinking, and I thought that I still think that form of thinking is sorely lacking in the world today. Um, and that we have such partisan you know, politics and, and polemics and stuff, and that people are not taking a more longer term or more holistic view of thinking. And you know, it's 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 so interesting to see that podcasting has space for all of these kind of you know these kind of I don't know. There's there's so many there's so much space for so many kinds of shows um, and forms of media. And as well as the flip side of this, where it's like with Obama being on on WTF that. You know, there are people that have these incredible audiences like Mark Marin and a ton of amazing comedians that, um, you know, another celebrity or a president, you know, or, or, or just an independent person can go on um, and have their message broadcast in, in these huge ways. And so I don't know. It's, it's interesting, too, because I mean, one of the uh, maybe kind of a as a weirder wrap up thought, but like, you know, YouTube is is has been like one of the main places that independent creators put content out for a long time. And now podcasting is, is taking over by storm uh, in that, you know there's video and audio and they kind of two, they, they may kind of tune to two different audiences at different times. But as we pointed out too, that we have seen podcasts that show up on YouTube and then, you know, you might see YouTube content like repurposed all that for podcasting. So there's, there's flexibility across the mediums, but I don't know, I, I guess to think about these ideas, like what do you see as maybe the future? Like what's, what's coming down the road in five years that you're most excited about in the podcast space? Cause I mean, there's so much, right? We're such an incredible space and then we have the idea for democratizing further. We have the idea of new forms of media. We have these incredible models like glow that are helping independent podcasters gain financial support and build audiences. I don't know. So, so what are you, what are you most excited about going, going forward? Oh, what a fun question. Um, I think this is true in podcasting and I think it's true the rest of the media. I think we are headed towards an ecosystem where independent media and independent content creators thrive. Um, and people are going to have people that they rely on for good, meaningful content sort of across the board that they love. And those people are going to build businesses. And it's going to be a really viable career choice to say, you know, I'm building my own following on my podcast and through my writing and through my books and through my speaking. And I'm, I'm going to build that following over time. And um, people are going to sort of find me and know me because they find what I do high quality and they're going to pay for my work. And it's going to be really possible to build your own independent media business through the content and the, sorry, through the quality of your content and the way you say it, and not just by the fact of getting picked up by a particular uh, platform and not just by the fact of being able to find yourself on top of an, an algorithm and go 
uh, go mm. viral. Like the, the fact of like being able to sustainably build an audience, deliver high quality content that people like over and over again and deliver that is going to be something <clears throat> that is increasingly commonplace and people are going to build really thriving, awesome careers out of. And and I think that's what the next five years is going to be. Sweet. I'm excited for that future. That, that sounds quite nice. Yeah, Absolutely. me too. Sounds good for me. Sign me up for the future. I'm all, because I, I can tell you the past I'm not yeah, a big that, fan of. The future sounds yeah. pretty good. Yeah, we, yeah, no one, no one is right. Like no one, no one loves the fact that you know so much of our media is, is controlled by a few platforms that tell us what algorithms to go to, and uh, a few people that determine who gets to be on TV. People want quality mm. again. Yeah, and, and new voices they can trust too. I think you know. There's also this 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 distrust of these yeah. old voices. Um, Amira, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely. Um, can you let us know where can the, where can the good people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Amira Valiani. You can see the spelling mm-hmm. in the show notes, um, but it's uh, at A-M-I-R-A-V-A-L-L-I-A-N-I. Um, or you can check out glow.fm. Uh, if you're a podcaster or whoever was a friend of a podcast, we, uh, we would love to support any and all podcasters looking to build direct relationships with their audience and getting started is free and easy. Um, and you know, it's the future of how uh, content creators will make money on this medium. So check us out. Amen. You can also check uh, Mira out at indiaspora.org. <laughs> you can also where, check her out there. Where I have to update my profile, apparently. <laughs> no, I, th- I, th- I think it was a great profile, especially the part about the business you started with the um, the mail checkerboard things where you put them in your pockets. Was that the, was that the business you started? Oh, oh, pocket squares. Yeah. We had a, we had a brief pocket square business. I, the next time we have you on, I want to hear everything about the pocket squares business. Oh, yeah. They were fun designs. Pocket Square experience, you know, it's a well, thing. That, maybe, that, maybe, maybe that's our premium content right there, Adam. Come back for our extended, extended conversation. There we go. About I pay for that. And why I pay for that. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Take care, guys. Thanks again to Amira Valiani, founder and CEO of Glow.fm, for taking some time to chat about the podcast movement, what listener experience means, and how one can go about making a living at talking, which who doesn't like talking, right? So you can go to glow.fm to learn more about the organization, the business, what they do, and what they can do for you podcasters who might be listening out there, both current podcasters and aspiring podcasters, because I think in all of us, there's an, an, not expiring podcaster, but an aspiring podcaster trying to get out. And maybe there's a few expiring podcasters out there as well. You can also follow Amira on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, along with anywhere else Amira is you can take you know look for her but no not in a weird kind of stocky way and thank you for picking our podcast Experience by Design out of the 800,000 or so podcasts out there we now have achieved 700 downloads having our first 100 plus download in a week which is really gratifying and really amazing we can't thank you enough and we also have our first century download which was Aaron Rush and Fan Experience at the Golden One Center So congrats to Aaron for making it first past the century mark. And you can go check out his podcast as well as other episodes at our website or wherever you get this podcast. And let us know what is your favorite and let us know what you'd like to hear more of. You can always leave us feedback at feedback at experiencexdesign.com. And we'll make sure to incorporate that feedback as well as get back to you. Um, after you share your thoughts and feelings as long as you do it in a nice way you can also support our podcast by going to our glow.fm site as well and helping us bring this content to you have a great week everybody and we'll see you next week 
on Experience by Design podcast, where we'll have another opportunity to make some experiences together. Bye.